Before we turn our attention to the reading and preaching of God's word, I'd like to invite you to keep your Bibles open or your Bible apps open for reference during the sermon ahead. Now, I'd like to welcome Patience to read God's word for us today. Patience. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, verses 1 to 22. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name is Kingsley. I'm one of the pastoral interns at Grace Toronto Church. Uh, Welcome to our live stream service. Uh, Before we begin, can, can we just join together in prayer, please? God, it's said uh, that the Proverbs are like popcorn, tight little kernels that seem difficult to crack. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to apply the the right interpretive heat, if you will, to these kernels today so that it might pop with beautiful delight for us. Help us today to see your face, to hear your voice, and to know you're near. Open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your word, Lord. Amen. Should I marry this person? Should I date that girl? Should I see this guy again? Should I take this job? Should I make this deal? Should I wait another day? Should I get that car? Should I respond uh, to that call? Should I get in that car? (laughs) Should I text that person back? Should I go to that school? Should I attend that party? Should I hang out with that crowd? These are some of the questions that we wrestle with in life over and over and over again. Weighing pros and cons, we, we wait, we deliberate, we contemplate. We do this because we know that actions have consequences. The choices that we make today affect our tomorrow, and we've seen this in everyday life. The husband who neglects his wife strange, strains their marriage to the point of divorce. The worker who cuts corners loses their job, their credibility, and future opportunities. 
The young adult who lives with regret as they uh, blew their life savings on their hobbies. The young couple, the young couple whose sexual curiosities led to diseases and even unplanned parenthood. We've seen the impact that our choices have and we see how fragile life can be. It doesn't take much to derail life. It doesn't take much to create a spiral. Do you ever worry about that? Do you ever wonder about your decisions? Do you ever worry that you might make the wrong choice? You're not alone. Just as we worry today, so the men and women of Israel worried. And speaking to this generation of concerned people, Proverbs teaches us that what we really need, what we really need is wisdom. Not just any wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that knows what to do. Wisdom that knows what to do in a righteous, just, and equitable way. A way full of uprightness, fairness, and honor. And today, in Proverbs 2, Solomon shows us how to get that wisdom. Not only does he show us how to get that wisdom, he also tells us why we should get that wisdom. And these are our two points for today. How do we get this wisdom? And why should we get this wisdom? So how do we get this wisdom? How do we get this wisdom? Do we get it through reading sophisticated books, through hours of engagement with the savants, sages, and scholars of our day? Is it through world travel or meditation? If you have your Bibles open, look to verse 1 and 5 and read what it says. It says, no, it's, it's none of these things. Written in a series of conditional statements, that is, if, if you do this, then you'll get that. Solomon shows us that the secret to gaining wisdom is actually found in having a receptive heart and a resolved spirit. The receptive heart is one of humility, and we see it described in verse 1. My son, if you'll receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, to receive. To receive is to acknowledge we don't have everything that we need for wise living. We're missing something. We need something. And Solomon is telling us what we need. We need God's word and God's word through God's people. The, the reference to words and commandments are none other than references to the word of God. God taught to Solomon as a child and the same word that is to be taught to the children of Israel. The words, my son, show us how important of a role the people of God played in gaining wisdom. In the ancient world, the primary school of wisdom came from home, from, from mommy and daddy. It didn't have to be exclusively from mom and dad, uh, since there were teacher-student-mentor-mentee relationships as well. But the point is God's people were responsible for showing the next generation what a life devoted to God's word, a life bent and obedient to God's word was to look like, a life of wisdom. At home, in the field, in the marketplace, in the courts, the young Israelite man and woman learned everything they needed to know and got to see what chugging life along in the tracks of wisdom was to look like. To further emphasize his point on receptivity, Solomon uses the image of treasuring God's word, storing it up, locking it away. The receptive heart values God's word like it's precious gold. The phrase, make your ear attentive. Well, making our ear attentive to wisdom means we're fine-tuning our ears like, like a radio receiver tuned to hit the frequency of God's word revealed, like God's wisdom, sorry, excuse me, through his revealed word. To incline your heart means that we bend our hearts, bend our minds, bend our wills to that which we have received, God's wisdom. How do we get that wisdom? Solomon tells us that it starts 
with a receptive heart. This begs the question, some honest questions that we need to ask ourselves. Firstly, what's the current posture of your heart? Do we acknowledge that we need help in the way of wisdom? Or do we feel like we've got it all figured out? Secondly, where are you turning to for help? Where are you tuning your ears into for help? Is it God's word? Is it God's people? Or is it somewhere else? Verse 1 to 2 teaches us that wisdom is gained by having a receptive heart. As we keep reading, verse 3 and 4 will show us that wisdom is also gained by having a resolved spirit. Gaining wisdom isn't all passive, it's actually active as well. Verse 3, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her, that's wisdom, as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then, only then, will you discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. The words cry, lift up, seek and search. These are intense words. Uh, In verse uh, 20 of Proverbs chapter 1, we see that wisdom is calling out first to us. Wisdom shouts in the street. uh, Wisdom shouts in the street, scripture says. She lifts her voice in the square. Here in chapter 2, Solomon's telling us, you call her back. With all resolve, like a child searching for their parents, we call and we cry out to wisdom. The language of seek and search is even more intense. Using some vivid imagery and also some intense Hebrew language, Solomon makes this point clear. If you were to look into the Hebrew, Solomon uses something called the piel form in Hebrew. If you want to go ahead and say it at home, you can say it out loud. Piel, P-I-E-L, piel. Uh, The the piel form is a way of spelling in Hebrew. And the word conveys, the way it's spelled, conveys maximum intensity, maximum grit, maximum resolve, maximum rigor, maximum passion. When I was a kid, I remember going to Disney World. It was a, a rainy day. Our shirts were drenched, our shoes were soaked. Uh, Disney was anything but a happy kingdom that day. And uh, after deciding that my mother would take my twin brother to the bathroom, it soon became apparent that mom got lost. And we waited 30 minutes for her to come back. After 30 minutes, dad said, let's go look for mom. It's time we should look for mom. And so we wandered through the wretched, wet kingdom We sloshed through puddles, screaming at the top of our lungs, Mom! Wesley! We searched and we searched and we searched, resolved to find our family. And what what felt like hours of searching. After that, Dad saw a colorful umbrella held nice and high just by a fountain. And we heard a voice calling out to us. It was Mom holding her umbrella. My brother crying out to us. It was intense. And seeking out wisdom, crying out for understanding, that's the intense resolve that we need. If we're to gain wisdom, we need not only a receptive heart, but we need to be resolved in spirit. Now, why should we get wisdom? Why should we get wisdom? This is our second point. Why should we get wisdom? Solomon gives us a couple reasons and motives between verses 6 and 22. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to keep your eyes focused between 6 and 22. That's where we're going to be looking to see what the motives are. The first reason is protection. Protection from what, you might ask? Protection from the perverse man and the adulterous woman, according to verse 12 and 16. 
See, threatening to derail and shipwreck life, the perverse man reflects the threats that occur in the public sphere of lives, of our lives. The adulterous woman reflects the threats that occur in our private sphere of life. The perverse man is the one whose way is devious and crooked. He's not afraid to make choices that cross moral boundaries and to say whatever he needs to say or she needs to say to get whatever they want. We've met people like this in our lives. They're the people that aren't afraid to tear down others to get ahead. They're not afraid to take advantage of people for their own gain. They openly brag about how they found a loophole or how they suckered someone into making an unfair deal. Solomon is saying, wisdom protects you from these kinds of people. And not only that, wisdom also protects you from becoming one of these people. What about the adulterous woman? Well, the reality is, life doesn't stop when the clock strikes five. Life continues when the the lights are down and there's nobody around. And for men and women, young or old, our private lives invite a certain level of danger if we're not careful. The context of this passage is referring, obviously, to a sexual relationship that is outside the confines of marriage. Someone who is allured and someone who is alluring the person by the chocolate-covered words of seduction. In our modern context, this goes beyond just a secret affair. This includes everything from compromising our sexuality to sinful second glances, from secret porn searches to flirty text messages with someone that's not our spouse. There are plenty of people who have a good public life, but their private lives, their private lives are shipwrecked. They've been derailed. Split marriages, for example. Children forced to choose between mom and dad. We've seen it. We can go on and on with examples, but what I want you to see here is that wisdom safeguards our public and private lives only if we have it. How does it work? Well, if we keep reading, we'll see that wisdom wisdom helps us because wisdom gives us divine protection. Look at verse 6 to 8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice, he preserves the way of his godly ones. Did you catch how many times, how many times Solomon uses the word he? What he's trying to emphasize here is that to the one who walks in wisdom, for that person, they'll have God, almighty God, watching over them. When I first got my 2014 Jeep Cherokee, I was fascinated by some of the the new features that came with the car. There was auto park, uh, auto brake, and my my favorite, lane sensing. These things were features that blew my mind, especially lane sensing. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Driving home on the highway, in the moments where I drifted too close to the lane next over, my steering wheel would automatically turn me back in the opposite direction, keeping me in my lane, keeping me in my track. And though invisible, though invisible to the human eye, for the one who would get God's wisdom and walk according to his word, the invisible hand of God will protect you, will steer you, will keep you, will guard you from going off the rails. Divine protection. Divine protection. 
Another form of protection we get is what I like to call organic protection. And this comes from verse 9 to 12. Look at the text here. Described almost like an internal instinctive guard. Wisdom is is described as though it will organically, internally help us detect, resist, and stand against the weakness that we'll encounter in this world. Like an immune system inoculated by wisdom, vaccinated by wisdom. The wisdom that we get from God will help us, it says, discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. Verse 11, discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Delivering you from the way of evil. Why should we get wisdom? Because getting wisdom, God's wisdom, will protect us. But not just protection. There is more, actually. Wisdom also gives us pleasure. The theme of pleasure is repeated a couple times in this text. And we see it most obviously in verse 10. It says, and knowledge will be pleasant pleasant to your soul. It'll be pleasant. What does that mean? Well, our desire for pleasure is a natural part of who we are. We are creatures made to thrive and flourish on pleasure. We, We meet new people. We eat good food. We watch cheesy movies. We go on grand adventures. Why? Why? Because it gives us pleasure. And these are just some of the good ways that we get pleasure, the good places that we go to get pleasure. Even the sinful behaviors Sinful behaviors come out of a desire for pleasure. The perverse man, the adulterous woman of Proverbs 2, are motivated by pleasure. Look at verse 14. He rejoices in doing evil and delights, takes pleasure in the perverseness of evil. The person who has anger management problems, they let out their rage with zero control. Why? Because in that moment, in that moment, it feels good. The alcoholic returns to the bottle to drown out their sorrows. Why? Because in that moment, it feels good. Think about it. How do your desires shape what you do? To be human is to desire pleasure. The only problem is that all these things that we might pursue in the world will inevitably leave us wanting more discontented and dissatisfied. We're left wanting more. And the only thing, the only thing that can satisfy us is the wisdom of God, verse 10. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant in your soul. Why, you might ask, how does that work? Verse 6, verse 6 is the key. For the Lord gives wisdom And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The word Lord in verse 6 isn't just any other ordinary word here. Solomon could have used the Hebrew word Elohim, the title of God. But he doesn't do that. No, rather, he uses a different word. A glorious word. A word that many are too afraid to utter. He uses the word Yahweh, Yavah. That's the personal, relational, intimate name of God given only to those who are in covenant with him. This is the difference between calling someone by their first name versus their title name, Mr. or Mrs. or Dr. So-and-so. Wisdom is eternally pleasing to the soul and will satisfy your heart's deepest desire because it brings you into a personal knowledge of God, a relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine, and the God who cherishes you more than you dared to believe. 
Wisdom isn't just about knowing what to do in every moment of life. No, 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 no. It's more than that. True wisdom finds its end in knowing and experiencing a love that goes deeper than the ocean, higher than the mountains, a love that triumphs over all other loves. There is no higher pleasure and there is no deeper delight than that which comes in knowing the one in whom you were made for. The psalmist says, your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. In Psalm 63, verse 3, pleasure. Now, some of you might think that you can gain wisdom and stay on the rails and live a happy life apart from God. And in all fairness, you are doing just that. You're pretty wise. You make good decisions. You're full of integrity and you're faithful to your family. And you're pretty happy. Why should you care about what Solomon has to say? You should care because in your life, you have settled with a lesser pleasure than what is actually available for you today. Hear the words of Jim Carrey, the comedian. Soberingly, he says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the right answer. It's not the right answer. Your public life and your private life might be neat and tidy. You might have a good, uh, you, you might be a good person and you might be content with your life. Your wisdom apart from a God got you all these great things. But at the end of the day, your wisdom is a counterfeit wisdom a knockoff brand that will never be able to give you the infinite pleasure, the infinite delight, and the infinite joy your soul craves. This only comes through God's wisdom, through living a life that is submitted and committed to God. Why should we get wisdom? Because there is ultimate pleasure to be had. Protection, pleasure, lastly, the promised land. This is the third motive that Solomon gives us. If you look at verse 21, we see it here. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those, in integ- those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. When Solomon is referring to the land, he is most certainly referring to the promised land given to the people of God, as outlined in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 6. Hear what God says. If you or your sons indeed turn away from following me, And do not keep my commandments, which is the same word as we read in Proverbs 1, and my statutes which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut you off from Israel, from the land which I have given you. For the Jew, walking in obedience and walking in wisdom meant continued life in the land. The the significance of the promised land is that it's the place where the, the, the protection of God and the pleasure of God come hand in hand, come together. And now, as New Testament readers, we know that the promised land isn't just some particular plot of land uh, found in Israel. No, it's more than that. Like a, like a train that is on its way to Terminal Station, the promise of God in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 6 is just a pit stop, revealing a glimpse of the final destination of God's promise of a greater promised land to come. Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4 describes this greater promised land. 
And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death, mourning, or crying, or pain. The New Testament tells us that the promised land, the greatest promised land, is the whole earth renewed, restored by God. A place full of righteousness, justice, goodness, peace. A place full of the pleasures of God, forever protected by God. And for you who are worried about falling off the rails, if you are in a relationship with God and continue to walk in his wisdom... That promised land, that is your finish line. Why should we get wisdom? It gives us protection, pleasure, and a promised land. At this time, there's really only one elephant in the room left that we need to talk about. And it's the problem of Solomon's life. Anyone who's familiar with Solomon's life knows that he fell off the rails. Failing to take his own advice, Solomon fell into promiscuity. And we know it wrecked everything. And so we're wondering, should we listen to Solomon if he failed to practice what he preached? That's a good question. And actually, that's the question I wrestled with all week. The answer is yes. Yes, we should still listen because Solomon's life reveals something that is true of all of us. Namely, that under the hood and within all of us is a heart that is disinclined to the way of wisdom, that is bent toward the way of the wicked. To get wisdom, we need a receptive heart and a resolved spirit. And the problem is, that's not us. No matter how hard we try, that's not us. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, we will always inevitably fail. This doesn't mean everything he said is meaningless. Because where Solomon and we fail, someone else succeeded. Someone who Luke chapter 11 verse 31 describes as the greater Solomon. Someone who John 1 describes as the word of God made flesh. Someone who 600 years after Solomon's time, on a quiet ordinary night, was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, giving us his beloved son, the great God gave to us the greatest gift of God. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ. In succeeding where Solomon failed, Jesus lived with a receptive heart, failing, uh, faithful to the end, he learned wisdom from his earthly father and stored in his heart the instruction of his mother. Treasuring the commandments of his heavenly father, he made his ear attentive to wisdom and inclined his heart to understanding. Resolved in spirit, he resisted the temptations of the wicked and lived the life we could not live. And not only living the life we could not live, he died the death we should have died. Mocked, marred, murdered. Jesus died for the ones whose souls were inclined towards evil and bent towards sin, bound to sin. 
and in dying, Jesus died so that he might rise to cancel the power of sin, shattering the shackles that enslaved us to all who would believe in him. Jesus sets us free from the grips of sin and frees us to walk in the newness of life. Life that is bent toward God. Life that is inclined to the way of wisdom. Life that is now free to day by day. Walk in wisdom. Grow in wisdom. Walk in his grace. Receptive in heart. Resolved in spirit. Some of you may have made, few, have made a few poor choices, and those choices have left you spiraling towards the shipwrecked life. Maybe you've already hit rock bottom. The wisdom of God in Christ Jesus, the word made flesh, says that's not the end of your story. There is still a greater grace. Turning to him, he is able to renew you. Trusting in him, he is able to restore you. Believing in him, there is always a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. We may need to face the temporal consequences of our actions in life. But for the one who hopes in Jesus, this guy, this someone, this Jesus says, starting today, if you believe, if you believe in me, yours is the new life kept under the eternal protection of my grace. Jesus says, yours is the new life free to drink from the everlasting fountains of the pleasures of God. Yours is a life destined for the never-ending promised land. Solomon's words are true, not, not because Solomon simply says so. Solomon's words are true because Jesus redeemed them to be true. Are you afraid of falling off the tracks in this life? Are you afraid of shipwrecking your soul? Come to Jesus, the true and greater Solomon. Come to Jesus, the word of God made flesh, the anchor of your soul, the full wisdom of God revealed. You won't regret it. Let's pray. God, we confess that we are not receptive in heart And we confess that we are not resolved in spirit. And we confess that a sin. And we thank you that there is Jesus, your great gift, who came and made it all possible for us, renewing our hearts, transforming our hearts, regenerating our hearts. In you, we can take a step forward. In you, we can find newness of life. In you, it's possible to get wisdom, And in you, it's possible to gain all the benefits of wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, we have a couple minutes for some Q&A. And so I'm going to work through this. And uh, we'll see how many we can get through this together. All right, here we go. Why is wisdom... Uh, why is wisdom feminine? Is there any significance? Oh, that's a great question. I like this one. Um, So... uh, in Hebrew, uh, Hebrew in, within the, the nouns, you can have different genders instilled into it. There's masculine, feminine. In, in Greek, you have something called a neuter. Uh, this is what we call grammatical gender. Um, and with, with Hebrew, uh, the fe- uh, wisdom is described as, as, as feminine because her grammatical gender is female. Uh, with Hebrew as well, you can see some interesting things where for uh, the word father, 
okay? The, the singular term is actually masculine. But when you look at the plural term for fathers, abos, uh, the, 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 the grammatical gender actually changes to feminine. And uh, we don't know why. Uh, there's really nothing super significant. It's just one of the nuances of the language. And so here, uh, because wisdom is being personified Uh, as, as, as a person, as a character, uh, the author appears to have used the, the gram- grammatical gender as, uh, as an example and as a motive to, to, to representing wisdom as feminine. And so is there any significance? Um, it's, it's more so uh, just a, a use of the literary functions and uh, the, 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 gram- the grammatical genders there that you see happening. Um, next question. Okay, you said that there is no higher pleasure than that which comes from knowing the one who you were made for. What do I do if I just don't feel that pleasure or delight in knowing God even though I'm committed to him? Whoever asked this question, you have asked the golden question that the psalmist asks time and time over again. And, uh, I would commend you to go to the Psalms and, and see how they respond and wrestle with that question. Uh, oftentimes they confess that, the, the, their longings for God, longing to experience his delight. Oftentimes they confess that they don't experience it. And in confessing it, uh, they're, 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 they're actually drawing near to God. And interestingly enough, over time, as time progresses, uh, the Psalm will inevitably turn And you'll see in the book the way it forms is there's a lament or there's a crying, a longing, all of a sudden to a psalm where oftentimes there's a psalm of praise. And what you'll see in this is a map of the anatomy of the the Christian life. There's times and periods of longing, wanting, even not feeling loved at times, to all of a sudden feeling this love, this delight, this all of God's pleasure. And that's that's part of the the, the struggle when we live in a broken world. Um, At times in our human lives, we will experience moments where we're soaring into the stratosphere of praise and we feel God's delight, and other times we don't. Sometimes it's because God wants, us to, 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 wants to drive us closer to him, wants us to long more for him, so that he can please us even more by showing himself in greater grandeur. And, and so there's, a, there's no really good answer I can give you other than uh, this is the, the, the story of our lives. But that's not the end of your story. This life that we live in is a already but not yet life. If you're in Christ, you do have the promises of God, but we do not see it fully manifested to us, fully complete. Like that train. We're only at the middle station. We're only at Bloor Station when final station's Finch, right? And and, and, and so here we see in Revelation that that is your end. In this temporary pit stop, it might feel incomplete. And that's because it is incomplete. The final destination is to come. And so like weary travelers, we long for a final destination, the celestial home that is with God, where his pleasure endures forever. Last question. It says here, ooh, ooh, a Hebrew question. This is fun. My Bible indicates that the word forbidden, as in forbidden woman, is translated from the Hebrew phrase strange and adulterous. I think you might be reading the NASB translation, which, good for you, I like that. Um, And is translated from foreign woman. It is like this throughout Proverbs. Can you please explain why they say foreign woman, uh, why they say foreign woman is translated as adulterous? Because on its face, the meaning seemed different. 
Um, so if I'm understanding the question correctly, uh, in the NASB, you'll see the words strange and foreign, but in the ESV, which is what we read today, you'll see adulterous. Um, so in that context, you've got to remember that the Proverbs is written towards the Jewish people. And in the Torah, okay, uh, they, there is a law that forbids the people from intermarriage. And it's not because they're racist or anything. It's because intermarriage, the, the, the people of God were supposed to be separate from the others. And oftentimes in marriage would come the corruption of idolatry. Uh, with marrying someone who was from a different uh, culture in that day and age came uh, almost a, an assumption, a, a risk of uh, falling into the snares of becoming uh, a, a, an unbeliever. Uh, so case in point, for example, with uh, Solomon's life we see that he started doing uh, Baal worship. Moloch is another god. And that was because of the wives that he was introduced to. Um, they had their gods, and in marrying them and in engaging with them, they introduced that into their life. And so that's what they're talking about. Is in adultery, they're looking at the, the, the spiritual influences that might come into and actually ensnare the person as well. And so that's why you see the, the, the switch in the language between our translation and the, the more literal wooden translation. The wooden translation uses the language of the, the, the Torah, which might actually escape most of us who, who aren't familiar with that. And so hopefully that answers your question. Um, at this point, we are... My time is up, uh, and I would like to pray one more time, and in doing so, while I'm praying, we'll have the worship team come up, and Stephen will lead us in a time of reflection. Please join me as we pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we enter this time of reflection, that God, you will help us to drink deeply from your word, to, to ponder and search our hearts and our souls. And as we do, God, would you reveal Christ to us, and would you reveal him in full wisdom and full clarity? And would it be sweet to our souls? Lord, do this for your namesake, we pray. Amen.